This recording has been produced by Christchurch, Jerusalem. For more information, visit us at cmj-israel.org. Ah, oh, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say, I am a youth, for you shall go to all to whom I send you, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my word in your mouth. See, I have this day set you over the nations and over the kingdoms, to root out and to pull down, to destroy and to throw down, to build and to plant. This is the word of the Lord. The second reading is taken from the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, verses 18 to 29. For you have not come to a mountain that may be touched and that burned with fire, and to blackness and darkest and tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words, so that those who heard it begged that the word should not be spoken to them anymore, for they could not endure what was commanded. And if so much as a beast touches a mountain, it shall be stoned or shot with an arrow. And so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I am exceedingly afraid and trembling. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and the church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who speaks. For if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth. But now he has promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not only the earth, but also heaven. Now this, yet once more, indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken, as of things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our gospel reading is from Luke chapter 13, beginning to read at verse 10. And as is customary, could you all stand for the reading of the gospel? Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had, who had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bent over and could in no way raise herself up. But when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and he said to her, woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, 
And he said to the crowd, there are six days on which men ought to work, therefore come and be healed on them and not on the Sabbath day. The Lord then answered him and said, hypocrite, does not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it away to water it? So ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound, think of it for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath? And when he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and all the multitudes rejoiced for all the glorious things that were done by him. Then he said, what is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? It is like a mustard seed which a man took and put in his garden and it grew and became a large tree and the birds of the air nested in its branches. And again he said, to what shall I liken the kingdom of God? It is like leaven which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till it was all leavened. And he went through the cities and villages teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. This is the gospel of the Lord. Father in heaven, we um, ask that you would open our hearts to your word. We pray that uh, you will give our hearts eyes to see uh, and ears to hear. We pray, Lord, that we'll be receptive to your word. And Lord, we ask that our hearts will be converted uh, just a little bit more. We pray that uh, as a result of thinking about the passage, the gospel passage, that um, we will repent just a little bit more, change our lives, and mend our ways. We ask that uh, you would give us that grace and work of the Spirit so that uh, we are transformed day by day into your image to bring glory to you. And Lord, to live lives that are pleasing to you as well. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> well, we have, um, we are continuing with our uh, journey with Jesus uh, through the Gospel of Luke. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, and we have uh, 10 chapters uh, of material that is not uh, found in either Matthew or Mark. Um, and for sure, not John. And uh, this is very unique material to Luke. It's a very powerful, powerful teaching by Jesus and uh, is very challenging. Much of it uh, is on really the two themes that come um, to, uh, are found upon the lips of Jesus over and over and over again. Those two themes are the importance of the kingdom of heaven, the centrality of the kingdom of heaven, and what does it mean to be a disciple? What does it mean to be uh, a member, you might say, of this kingdom of heaven movement? And uh, Jesus is teaching and explaining. He's encouraging and challenging. <clears throat> uh, and of course, all of this is in the context of his going to Jerusalem to uh, to the cross. And here we um, encounter Jesus coming into a synagogue. Um, we haven't um, 
seen him in the synagogue for a few chapters, and there's a, a miracle, and more importantly, um, well, there's a miracle and a debate about the Sabbath, uh, or the meaning of the Sabbath, the purpose of the Sabbath, uh, and more importantly, there are some comments that Jesus has about the nature of the kingdom of God. So let's do this um, one, two, three. Okay, one, um, and this is, I think is important for us. This is an important uh, context because if we don't get or understand the Jewish context of the gospel, um, we won't fully understand Jesus. We won't understand his words. We won't understand his teaching. We won't understand his life. And we'll be even more challenged in in trying to work out what it means to be his student, what it means to to be his follower. And oftentimes, uh, anti-Judaism, not often, almost always, uh, anti-Judaism or misunderstanding of the Jewish people, uh, misunderstanding of the Judaism and and the time in which Jesus lives, this not only um, hurts the Jewish people uh, because of these poor attitudes are reflected in the lives of Christians or in uh, anti-Semitism itself, but it also hurts us. It hurts our understanding of Jesus and even uh, our understanding of who God the Father is. So it's important that we remove all forms really of anti-Semitism from our thinking and preaching and really all forms of anti-Judaism. We may not necessarily agree with the Jewish people. Uh, We may not uh, always accept uh, every Part of their theology is valid and certainly uh, something that uh, is not useful to us, but we certainly need to make sure that we understand it. And here we have the story of a local (coughs) synagogue official who's, you might say, who's zealous for the Sabbath. Now, it's very easy for us to say, ah, those are rules and regulations and legalism. And, and uh, of course, Jesus comes onto the scene. Uh, and in the past, I've likened this a little bit, and if, forgive the American imagery here, a little bit to James Dean, who rides into town on his motorcycle with his black jacket, who's uh, in the state of rebellion. Or even I've quoted the late, great Elvis Presley in the past. You know, you have to make preaching relevant to where people are at. So we're going to introduce Elvis Presley. And, um, you know, someone asked Elvis, Elvis, what are you rebelling against? And uh, he answered, this was before he got fat, okay? He answered and said, what do you got? And so, what do you got? So sometimes people think of Jesus as this religious rebel. He's not that at all. He's not some religious rebel who's come, come in to kick down the religious the, the religious uh, establishment. And this synagogue official, now let's, let's, for just a moment, think of things from his perspective and his uh, point of view. So first of all, and we've mentioned this in the past, that the Sabbath is the first thing that's called holy in the Bible. So it's, there's gotta be some importance to it. And secondly, in Exodus uh, 20, we hear that Israel is to keep, this is in the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, Israel is to keep the Sabbath because it uh, reminds 
us, reminds them, you might say, of the creation. So it's linked to the very creation itself, okay, of God making heaven and earth. And then in Deuteronomy, the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments are a little bit different because while Israel is commanded to keep the Sabbath in Deuteronomy like it is in the book of Exodus, it's commanded to keep the Sabbath for a different reason. For the, to remember that God has made a covenant with his people and he has liberated them. He has liberated them. Now why is memory so important? Because we as human beings so easily forget. We so easily forget who God is. We so easily forget what God has done for us. And therefore God himself wants uh, the Jewish people and even us as Christians in a, in a, in a different context to remember, to remember, to remember. Our, po- our point of memory is in the Eucharist where Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. Further, further, over and over again in the Old Testament it says, keep these commandments carefully, carefully. So we sometimes forget this as Christians, the Jewish people are commanded to be quite detailed or quite specific about how they keep God's law. You might say, okay, that the divine is in the detail, all right? And further, you know, there's many other um, uh, things that we could say. You know, the keeping of the Torah, the keeping of these commandments gives Israel an identity, okay, which is very, very important. And also they not only brings honor to God, but uh, it also um, is, brings blessing to Israel. Sometimes people forget uh, that uh, in a number of places, I'll just read you one example in Deuteronomy chapter 10, um, verse, let's see what verse this is. Is it 12? It's a long verse. No, 13, it says, observe the Lord's commandments and decrees which I am giving you today for your own good. So the Sabbath is something given to Israel for its own good. It's a day of blessing, as we read in Isaiah. It could be a day of joy, should be a day of delight, and therefore it needs to be taken seriously in a Jewish context. And people will ask me, well, What should we do about this as Christians? And that becomes a different discussion because the Sabbath isn't directly or specifically given to us as believers. We can observe a Sabbath if we so choose, but we're not as Gentiles commanded to keep the Sabbath as the Jewish people do. So way God um, marked or set aside the Jewish people to keep them holy, to keep them different, uh, for his for his divine purposes. So this is the context. Now this synagogue official doesn't necessarily represent Judaism or the Jewish attitude because during the time of Jesus there was a debate on what it meant to, kept, to keep the Sabbath because the scriptures aren't uh, really always clear in every point. And Jesus, of course, enters into this debate. It is a Jewish, may I remind you, It is a Jewish debate, 
And Jesus uses a Jewish form of argument, going from the simple to the complex, saying if you can untie, you know, a sheep or a goat or an ox on the Sabbath, why can't we loose, why can't we liberate, why can't we free this woman? Okay, it is and takes place in a Jewish, uh, Jewish holy space, uh, in a synagogue, and so um, we as Gentiles should enter this, you know, uh, scene a little bit, uh, a bit delicately. There are things, of course, that Jews and Gentiles can and should learn from the passage, because the passage is not so much directly about the miracle. It's amazing, uh, certainly is an amazing miracle that uh, first of all, first and foremost, notice that Jesus notices this woman. Yes, she's a disabled woman. 18 years she has uh, been controlled, you might say, by a spirit of infirmity. Uh, you may know, notice, we, may, we all know, and we feel guilty about it, that when we see a disabled person, we either do two things. We either stare or we turn away. Yes. <clears throat> but Jesus, this woman who's pro- probably ostracized, who's not economically useful to her family, um, who may be uh, not fully integrated into the life of the community, Jesus notices her. And Jesus, she doesn't even ask. Jesus heals the woman. Now, for many of us who believe in divine healing, and I believe in divine healing, we've sometimes, and especially in these days, now reduced it to a formula. You gotta have faith. And if, you don't have an, if you're not getting healed, you don't have enough faith. My dear friends, that's not always how it works. Sometimes God in his grace and in his mercy chooses to do something to people who are not expecting it, who have no faith. And this is the case and this with this, uh, certainly this is the case with this, this, particular, this particular woman. And so I think we need to um, make sure that we're careful, uh, especially when it comes uh, to the area of healing. I think the, 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 the important issue here is the, two, is the little illustration that Jesus gives about the kingdom. Because as I said, it's not just about the healing. Usually the healing stories are a lot longer, more detailed. This healing is just kind of in passing, okay? Jesus wants to illustrate what Jesus wants to drive home uh, for his audience and for us is what exactly is the kingdom of heaven? What is this kingdom of heaven? So he says it's like a mustard seed. It's like yeast, and he's, and he's trying to, uh, you know, to, to certainly trying to, to emphasize that. And this story, by the way, also needs to be read in the context, okay, of Luke's gospel. And in Luke's gospel, and I would say in Matthew and Mark and even John, but especially in Luke's gospel, okay, the kingdom of heaven has these two parts and sometimes it's hard for us to wrap our head around the kingdom of heaven. Uh, because the kingdom of heaven is something that happens to us when we die. 
But for Jesus, on most of the time and most of his teaching, the kingdom of heaven is something in the here and now. It's something that's happening in our lifetime. It's something that's happening at this moment. And wherever God is ruling and reigning, wherever God is taking control of people's lives, okay? And remember, Jesus in the synagogue said, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your midst. What? I've come to preach good news to the poor. I've come to give eyesight to the blind. I've come to liberate the captives. This is happening today. So when we talk about the kingdom of heaven, we're talking about people being liberated. We're talking about people being freed. We're talking about, okay, this saving, healing work of God. That people are being freed and liberated physically. People are being liberated from the demonic from the influence of Satan. And this, by the way, this healing is quite unique. And I don't know quite unique, but it's quite interesting because at one time it's a healing and at the other time, at an, uh, and in another sense, it is, a, uh, it is a liberation from Satan. It's not quite an exorcism. This woman isn't possessed, but in some way she's demonized. She's demonized. <clears throat> and of course, Jesus comes to bring freedom and to bring, to bring liberation. And, and that's in part what the kingdom of heaven is all about. You may remember that Jesus in Luke 11 says to the Pharisees, if I drive out Satan, then the kingdom of heaven has come upon you. The kingdom of heaven has come upon you. Now, my dear friends, I, many times, if you're new, if you're a regular, you know, many times I've mentioned these concepts, and hopefully I'm doing them in different words, or this reality or this truth from the scripture standing here. But the reason it needs to be emphasized over and over and over again is because while we talk about Jesus, Jesus himself talked about the kingdom. Now it's not a bad thing to talk about Jesus. It's a wonderful thing to talk about Jesus because to be his disciples, to be in relationship with him. But why isn't it that we don't have his worldview or his understanding of these things. Why aren't those, the reality and the truth that he taught something that's somehow front and centered in our lives? Why isn't discipleship a burning passion with us? And why isn't, uh, why don't we have that desire? And this is where it all starts, is with a desire to see God, yes, to participate with God in liberating more and more people. Yes, taking over more, not just getting saved. Not just getting saved. Maybe part of the problem is because we've reduced salvation. Yes, yeah, we've reduced uh, salvation to just something that happens in the afterlife. Oh, and God's only worried about our soul. God is worried about our soul, but he's worried about our bodies. You know, and oftentimes in Luke's gospel, when Jesus says, your faith has saved you, that the word faith and the word healing in Greek is really the same word. And the, they're interchangeable. To be healed is to be saved. To be saved is to be healed. And not just physically, but emotionally. To be healed from trauma. To be <clears throat> healed from uh, 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 our anxieties. For to be healed from uh, our uh, 
inability to, to trust God, to be healed or to be saved from our temper or our anger or our addiction to pornography or our addiction to food, whatever it may be. That's, what the, that's the package that's on offer. And now, if you think of the parable for a moment, how does the kingdom work? The kingdom works uh, sometimes with small, insignificant events. She's an insignificant lady. You know, in the scheme of things in the first century or even the scheme today, she's not very important. Yet something small happens in her life. But that something small is significant. God breaks through, there's a healing, and she is restored. She is restored in all of that. And by the way, what is the reaction? What is the right reaction? You see it when we see these things happen. It's not to be jealous or not to ignore them, saying, ah, you know, I, there wasn't a crusade and there weren't 10,000 people saved. Or, you know, the man we fasted and prayed for was an elected president or, or whatever. Okay? When, when, something, when, when there's some uh, small victory, that is the advancement, you might say. That is the uh, expansion, okay, of the kingdom of heaven. God's kingship just got a little bit bigger. God just took over more people. And I believe that my former mentor and teacher, Bob Lindsay at the Baptist Church, he used to teach, he said, when you're praying the Lord's Prayer, he said the sense of all this, thinking about the Hebrew and the Jewish content, he said the sense of all this is that when you're saying your kingdom come, your will be done, he's, it's like you're the, let me use another American illustration, but one you'll never forget. It's like you're the cheerleaders for the Miami Dolphins. I mean, that's a horrible institution. A bunch of blonde-headed girls, a bunch of blondes, you know, with pom-poms and short skirts, you know, yelling, go team, go. But that's exactly what we're doing. We're saying, God, take more lives. We're saying, God, work, deal with someone's temper. God, deal with someone's anxiety. God, bring, remove Satan from someone. Go, 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 God. Come on, God, get with it. Paul said it in the first Corinthians chapter three, the kingdom of heaven is not about talking and preaching and Sunday school programs. It's about power. It's about God's active power in our midst. And the response to that, as you see in the crowd, was people praise the Lord. People praise the Lord. There was, in fact, you see it all through the book of Luke. It's worship, it's praise. It's being grateful. A lot of times, two weeks ago, we mentioned why people are so anxious and people somehow, after God does all these marvelous things in their lives, you know, they have a hard time trusting him or being confident in him. But in part of the reason is that they're not actively recalling the great works of God and praising him for them. Yes? Okay, we don't remember. Now, I loved it because the second reading had the same thing. What is so insignificant, my dear friends, what seems so insignificant that this woman is healed or that uh, somehow you got a uh, divine, uh, you know, that God provided you with 100 shekels when you had no money 
or you didn't have money to have bus fare to go home, or uh, when you know you wanted to eat a second ice cream cone and you were able to have the grace to to deny oneself. Well, all that seems so insignificant, but the book of Hebrews tells us that even what looks so small is actually so big and that God's kingdom is ultimately unshakable. See, we don't always see how it works because, you know, who sits there and analyzes a mustard seed growing? Who sits in front of a, a, a lump of yeast and kind of a lump of dough and watches it expands? But it expands. It grows. And that we can be confident in. And it grows to such an extent that the writer of the book of Hebrews can write um, as follows. May I remind you? Yes. He says, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, yes, no matter what happens around us, okay, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably. So our response is one of worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire, which could have been and should have been quoted in the last week's sermon. Our God is a consuming fire. Reverence, worship. Now the second part of all this is that, this, and again, it's kind of, it, it, it really shows, I think how, I think very, um, Sometimes we think of, unfortunately, we think of Jesus as a simple peasant, even believers, okay? Even believers think of him as some kind of guy who walked around a half a meter off the ground, talked about peace and love, um, not Woodstock, but peace and love and, and good times and happiness. And people, again, we've created Jesus uh, uh, in our own, the image of our own culture or in the image of our own broken personality. And um, Jesus, even on a human level, is is a genius, a religious genius. But of course, he's much, much, much more than that. But uh, now we see this, and the the healing of this woman, and through many of the healing and deliverance stories all throughout Luke's gospel, we see this important aspect that, that this healing is in the context of a community and that the kingdom of God is not only about the place where God is ruling and redeeming and liberating people, saving them, okay? But the kingdom of God is also about a movement. It's also about a community. There are a number of scriptures in the gospel in which Jesus talks about his uh, kingdom as a movement, as a community. Just to give you a few of Matthew's gospel and the, the, the disciples say, now Jesus, who is the greatest in your kingdom? We're not talking about a place. We're not talking about the realm of the British Empire or they're not talking about the Federal Republic of Germany. We're talking about who's the greatest in your movement? Who's the greatest in the movement? Come on, the treasurer of the movement, the Archbishop of Canterbury, yeah, the televangelist with a private jet spends $26,000 a night at hotels in Dubai. Come on, who's the greatest? Who's big? 
a kid, children. Jesus says, when he starts a famous sermon on the mount, what is, he says that the kingdom of heaven, okay, he says literally in Greek, the kingdom of heaven is made up of those who are poor in spirit, comprises those who are poor in spirit. Or he who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom of heaven. I mean, this person is never going to eternal life. It means that if you're going to be in my movement, Jesus says, you've got to give it 100%. It's got to be kind of radically time-consuming. Yes, it's got to be your major focus. And what I think is really important about this healing and the healing of uh, Yair, Jairus' daughter, or the healing of the demoniac on the eastern shore of the Sea of Galilee, or the healing of the 10 lepers, is that in every case, and virtually every healing case or every case of deliverance, even the woman who wipes the feet of Jesus with her hair, Jesus not only heals, but he restores to a community. Jesus, Jesus restores these people uh, who are on the edge, who are maybe thought of as being despicable, who thought of as being unredeemable. He doesn't just heal. He doesn't just deliver, but he brings them back into society. Because when you, of course, when you live on the edge and you're not a part of a family and you're not a part of a society, then of course it's very dangerous Okay, uh, on many different levels. And we were meant to live in community. We were meant to live in family, as difficult as families may be at times. So Jesus brings them back. He brings them into the community. But here's a little bit of a paradox in all this. Because not only does Jesus want to restore um, those that are, are sick or those that are on the edge you might say, those who are demon, demonized, demon-possessed. Not only does Jesus want to restore them, but Jesus wants to go even a step further. He wants to bring them into his family, into his movement, into his community. And in part, what we've been reading about in the last couple of weeks uh, in the book of Luke and even before really has to, can be answered with a question. What does it mean to be in this community? What does it mean to be in the kingdom of heaven movement? Because to be in this kingdom movement, uh, not an organization, not a church. By the way, many people in the church are in the kingdom. There are people who've made Jesus king. But not everybody in the church is in the kingdom. Some people who are not in the church, okay, are also in the kingdom. It's not about the visible. Hopefully, the church you go to, the church we have here, the majority, the vast majority of the people have made Jesus king, right? Have submitted, we've submitted ourselves to him. We're uh, committed to living out uh, his teaching and uh, following him. Uh, And this community, yes, is on one hand, it's a great privilege It is the most incredible privilege to be a member of this community. Remember Jesus said about John the Baptist, he said, if you're in my movement, if you're in the kingdom of heaven, 
You're greater than someone like John the Baptist. And who was John the Baptist? The greatest of the prophets. What does that mean? It means that John prepared the way for the Jesus movement, but he wasn't a follower of Jesus. He wasn't in the movement. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus says to his disciples, he says, you know, there are kings, yes, and prophets. Luke 10, 13. He turned to his disciples and said, blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see, but they did not see it and hear what you hear and did not hear it. And he goes on to say, and there's great reward. If you want to be my disciple, there's a reward in this life and a life to come. But at the same time, at the same time as rewarding and as special as it is, you might call it the VIP status of the kingdom. I can also, by the way, think of Matthew 25. The world will be judged on how it treats believers. This is a very serious thing for us to think about. It should make us arrogant. It should make us quiver in fear, shake in fear. At the same time of having all these privileges, and by the way, the privilege, and also think of the privilege of being filled with the Spirit, having joy and purpose and meaning in life, it also has its challenges. We are called to pick up our cross and to follow him. We are called uh, to, um, to deny ourselves. It might mean suffering. It might mean loss. But paradoxically, there's loss and suffering at the same time that there's great blessing and joy. And these two things happen together. And anyone who says it's all about joy, 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 and love, 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 and nothing bad ever happens to us is a liar. And anyone who tells you that discipleship is only about counting the cost and suffering and being a, a, a doormat for everybody is also not telling the truth. It's both at the same time. And we have to live with that tension. So Jesus is calling us Yes, to be a part of his community. And he warns us because, you see, being, wanting to be in a community, there's such a human need. There's such a human temptation. At the moment, we're living in this age of kind of rampant individualism. But I'll be willing to wager any amount of money that soon we'll see a reaction, a rebellion against this rampant individualism and people will desire community and they'll want to belong um, and now we have you know another kind of temptation because when you have people wanting or desperate to be involved with a community or to be a b part of their family Jesus also has a warning for us yes and that warning is that uh, two weeks ago Jesus says be careful some in your family will oppose you because you're my disciple. And it's be so easy for many of us, and the temptation is, well, I'll just put that Jesus stuff aside because I'm dealing with my family. And after all, who wants to be ostracized? And who wants to be pushed to the edge? And who wants to be pushed to the edge of the society? We live in a society, especially here, amongst Muslims, Jews, and, and local Christians, that everybody wants to belong. Nobody wants to be different for the most part. 
So we all end up conforming. And of course, Jesus warns us against this as well. And so, yes, on one hand, Jesus restores to society and family is important. Yet on the other hand, we need to, to, to always remember that ultimately our first form of allegiance is to him. Our first form of allegiance is to him. And what does it look like to be a part of this community? Now, if you followed us for the past couple of weeks, you know, we've actually been talking about, you know, what are the borders and the parameters of this community. And before I mention to that, I'd like to just also say the following, that the community, this kingdom of God movement is very inclusive. It invites everybody in. And not only does it invite everybody in, its values are kind of upside down. Yes, it doesn't have the world's values and this community should reflect, yeah, a reality that is not seen, yet it's God's reality. You know, the reality in which we live in, it's always the healthy over the sick, the rich dominate the poor. Uh, Traditionally, men have have, uh, dominated and uh, pushed women uh, to the side, uh, so on and so forth. It's not the way this society or the kingdom movement should work and has to work. Everybody is welcome. But my dear friends, even if everybody is, in, is welcome okay, to stay in the community, there has to be transformation. The way there has to be repentance. See, when Jesus, when he invites us into the community, he says, repent, because the kingdom of God is near. Repentance is changing our mind, changing our lives. You might even, repentance could even be translated as being converted, being transformed, and that the repentance that Jesus calls us to is something that is ongoing. It's something that goes, uh, goes on through a lifetime, okay? It's not just a one-time, uh, some kind of a one-time event. And so we're called into community. Everybody is welcome to come to the table, however, whatever imagery you, you want to use. Okay? But to stay in, to stay in is something completely different. Now, again, I'd like to just close with a few of these to connect with some, some we have some people out there in podcast land who listen to us. At last count, it was 14 and a half. And some of you have been here in the past few Sundays. So I'd like to just connect. What does it mean to live in this community? Uh, because there, every community has to have borders. Every community has to have some boundaries. Okay, And here's, here's what uh, Jesus um, says to us, just using from the last few weeks here at church. He, um, he talks about... Um, uh, first and foremost, he says, you want to be in our community, and I'm just starting in Luke 12. You can't be afraid of who I am. You can't deny me, you know, in front of men and women. You can't run away from the shame, okay, that will sometimes come because you bear my name, or maybe even the, uh, the persecution. And then Jesus goes on to warn people, to warn his community about acquiring riches acquiring possessions. Um, And he gives us the parable of the rich man uh, in his barns. 
And then he goes on to tell us um, uh, about worry and anxiety. Okay, we cannot live in a state of anxiety and be totally focused on ourselves and our own needs, okay, and be in the place and the movement or be a part of the people that have made Jesus king. Yes, because we're taking God's place. And Jesus is saying, look, you put me first, you put my kingdom first, meaning you put, uh, you put my priorities first in your life, and I will take care of you. And so, again, here's a teaching of Jesus. And then he goes on to talk to his disciples about being watchful. And here's, I think, a very important aspect of what it means to be in the kingdom of God. If you want to be in God's, we want to see the expansion of God's kingdom. And it's like that yeast. It's like the mustard seed. It is growing. It is getting bigger. Um, More people are being added to the kingdom. Hopefully, God's kingship in our lives is expanding. And he's more king. He's more in control of us today than he was 10 years ago or five years ago. But we have to be watchful. And we can't be weighed down by all the concerns of life, paying the insurance, raising the kids so completely that we, don't, we miss where God is moving. We don't see sometimes it may be small. Uh, sometimes it may not be so significant. But if we're not watchful, okay, we're going to miss uh, a great blessing. We're going to miss uh, the opportunity to, to be involved, you might say, or to be, to be actively cooperate uh, with God in uh, the expansion of his kingship or his control uh, in, the lives, uh, in the lives of others. And finally, you know, at the end of this passage, people say, well, who can be saved? This is the, the passage that comes. And Jesus says, you know, it's, there's a two ways, a way that leads to destruction and a way that leads to life. And, he, and Jesus says, take the narrow way, that way that, uh, uh, that does lead to life. So the story um, that we have in front of us, again, uh, may seem a bit insignificant, may not seem uh, very important, but it hopefully, yeah, I would hope, would instruct us right, to be watchful, to see where God is moving, where the kingdom is breaking out, even in, the, even in something very small, and to make sure that we acknowledge God, that we give him praise, okay, and that when we participate with him, that uh, what we're doing uh, we're cooperating with him, cooperating with the Holy Spirit, is that uh, we want to bring people uh, uh, fully into uh, that place where not only where God rules and reigns over us, where God is redeeming us and bringing us liberation, but we want to bring them into that place where they're, they are active parts of a community because that's where they're going to find healing and restoration and ultimate liberation is being in God's family. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we um, ask that you will help us all to be alert and not to miss the, 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 the amazing things that you're doing in our midst. We pray that we'll not be discouraged, that uh, we will not be overwhelmed by evil, 
Lord, we pray that uh, we will be able to resist evil and that we will, be, we will really see uh, that uh, you have not abandoned this world, but that you're active uh, in uh, the lives of millions of people. Encourage us, Lord. Strengthen us, we pray. And Lord, give us that uh, right understanding of the kingdom of heaven. And Lord, we ask that for each one of us, Lord, that we will seek first that kingdom. We will seek first to be a part of your community, and we will seek first uh, to, um, to put your big agenda into practice in the lives of, of each one of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page or leaving a review in iTunes. You can offer practical support to Christ Church Jerusalem by clicking the Donate Now button on our Facebook page. Thank you and blessings from the City of the King.